Welcome to the latest on the law, a podcast of the Boston Bar Association. The Commonwealth's premier legal association, the BBA, is home to over 15,000 members and 140 institutional partners consisting of law firms, corporations, government agencies, legal aid organizations, and law schools. Visit us at bostonbar.org to learn more. Thank you, everyone, for joining us today. I'm going to start off by sharing my screen to show you some lovely slides. Um, so I am, in fact, Dr. Sean Healy. I am a clinical psychologist with Lawyers Concerned for Lawyers of Massachusetts. And I'm going to talk to you about some strategies, techniques, um, certain approaches to managing stress while you're preparing for the bar exam. The fact that you are here is commendable because usually when people are under a lot of pressure, feeling stress, particularly in a time uh, such as this where you're preparing for the bar, it's often the case where it feels like you really need to make tough decisions about what you do with your time and energy. So the fact that you're here indicates that you value um, this topic and that you're hoping that it could be helpful to you. Um, I am also hoping that it will be helpful to you as well. Um, but it's important to recognize that you've made a decision to do this, um, which could increase your stress while you're sitting here because you're thinking, what else can I be doing at this time? Um, and that will be a recurring theme in this presentation, that idea of some of the things that are really helpful actually could increase your stress in the moment. But as you understand the usefulness of that thing that is causing that stress, hopefully it'll reduce your stress, which is a little counterintuitive. Um, before I sort of jump into the material, I want to just let you know a little bit about who we are as an organization, in case you're not familiar. So Lawyers Concerned for Lawyers is a lawyer's assistance program. We are a, a free and confidential service to the legal community of Massachusetts. So we are funded through a portion of bar dues that every lawyer in Massachusetts pays as part of their licensing fee. And because we're funded that way, we don't charge for our services. Uh, we serve law students, lawyers, judges, and legal professionals in Massachusetts. Uh, we're also a confidential resource. So when we're doing programming uh, groups or we're doing individual consultations, those uh, services are confidential. And so there's limited confidentiality uh, as you would encounter talking to any licensed mental health professional. But there's also additional uh, protections for us, particularly when you're a lawyer and you're talking to us, uh, the reporting requirement to the BBO is suspended. So that helps lawyers feel at ease talking to us about whatever's going on. i just give you a very brief overview of what we do. We have mental health services. We have law practice management services. We have... Um, coaching services and other such things. You know, we also have a lot of groups. Some are focused on addiction recovery. Some are focused on a variety of other topics. So not to that, not that you're going to act on this information right now, just keep it in the back of your mind that we are a resource available to you and uh, we are approachable. So let's jump into it. So you're in the, you're already in the, the zone of preparing for the bar exam and you may or may not have already found uh, the most uh, efficient way for you to do that right so i'm going to talk about some tips and tools if you're already doing this stuff keep doing it if you found what works for you obviously you know keep that going i would encourage you to pay attention to anything that sticks out in terms of like oh that i haven't considered that or i haven't tried that that might be helpful and, and, you know, explore that. What I would strongly urge you not to do is to basically follow the list of things that I'm going to talk about and try to do all of them. That would be overwhelming. That'll definitely stress you out and it'll be counterproductive. So again, anything that sticks out to you is like, all right, I haven't tried that. Maybe that'll help. Go with one or two things, see how it goes. Um, I encourage you to first to start with your mindset. Right, like how are you thinking about your preparation? How do you think about yourself preparing for the bar exam? How do you think about the bar exam itself? Specifically, um, when you think about your performance, when you think about 
uh, your efforts to do something really difficult, it's really helpful to have a growth mindset, which is different than a fixed mindset. If you're not familiar, a fixed mindset basically is the 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 understanding or the assumption that some quality about you is either or it's fixed right so i'm either smart enough or i'm not capable or i'm not i'm going to be a good lawyer or i'm not that fixed mindset really limits how our brains think about ourselves and our and our situations that we're in right a much more uh, helpful mindset it's called a growth mindset and a growth mindset really thinks about ourselves and our situations as like points along a timeline. It's like everything is constantly changing, right? So like, um, it's not whether or not I am intelligent. It's all about like everything that I do adds to my intelligence, right? I'm learning constantly. If I fail at something, right? That's not an indication that I lack intelligence. Failure is actually a really helpful experience to learn. I know this is not popular, uh, but I say it often. It's not popular popular to think about failure as something to welcome in, like embrace. But failure has been your best teacher your entire life. You might say that sounds like Yoda, because it does. Yoda stole my line in one of the more recent um, Star Wars episodes. But it, when you think about how you learn something, all the way back from walking, talking, riding a bike, you, know, you name it, it is literally a series of failures. I'm going to try. I don't quite get it. Right? I have to practice. I have to try again. And all that is is I fail and I try again. I fail and I try again. And then eventually, after a series of failures, I achieve mastery. And so in order to really engage in that process and, and really benefit from that experience, you have to have this mindset that failure is not an indication that you're lacking something. Failure is part of the process of learning. And when you embrace it like that, then you have a growth mindset, right? It also helps with grit. Grit is really just like the determination to not give up. Like I'm gonna keep going, right? So if I study, I'm studying for the bar exam. I'm taking the practice exam. And my my results of my practice exam are really discouraging. It's like, oh, I, that is not what I want to score, right? Grit is all about like, I'm going to keep trying. I'm not going to take this practice score as the end result. I'm going to get back at it, right? And that, those two things, grit and a growth mindset are like the two key factors in uh, success for the majority of people like research looks at you know if you have to boil it down to two things that you want in life it's grit and a growth mindset um also it's helpful to think about you know what is my mindset about the bar exam what is the bar exam so some misconceptions are that it measures my intelligence another is that it's an indicator of my ability to be a good lawyer it might sound uh, counterintuitive to say that's a misconception, but it's a misconception. Obviously, there are lots of lawyers in the world. If you are a lawyer, that means you, you pass the bar exam. Of the, that big group of lawyers, there's good lawyers, there's lawyers that aren't so good, right? There's incompetent lawyers, there's competent lawyers. So just because you've passed the bar exam, doesn't mean that you're gonna be a good lawyer. Right? Those, those things are separate. Okay, So it's, it's helpful to think about, like, am I carrying misconceptions about this exam? The first one there, that it measures your intelligence. This is an interesting one because uh, studies have shown that if someone thinks an exam they're about to take is measuring their intelligence, they will do less well. They will do more poorly. That's, there's a better way of saying that. Their scores will go down if they think it measures their intelligence. If they take the same exam, but they're told that it doesn't measure their intelligence, their scores go up. So one, the bar exam isn't an intelligence test. There are lots of intelligence tests out there. The bar exam is not one of them. 
So remind yourself, it's not a measure of your intelligence. Um, the reality is it, it is a barrier to the profession, to the entry to, into the profession. So you have to sort of get over this barrier to sort of be entered into the profession, right? And what it really measures is your ability to study and pass a comprehensive exam. Some of us, that's in our wheelhouse, just good at studying, cramming, and passing exams, right? That is a separate skill set than being a lawyer. There's some overlap there, but it really is a separate skill set. So if you have that skill set, great. You know, that'll that'll serve you well taking the bar exam. If you don't have that skill set, like many people do not, then studying and trying to pass a comprehensive exam is more of a struggle. So again, it's just helpful to, to sort of see it for what it is, right? And not carry added pressure based on misconceptions. Uh, the next thing that I encourage you to do is to, to think about setting healthy priorities. Right, for yourself. Start with yourself. So, for example, it's one thing to have the intention to do a good job. Right? It's totally a totally separate idea to actually have the appropriate tools and techniques to accomplish that job. So intentions are great. However, it's really helpful to know like what actually is effective and why is it effective. So one example is. You know, you could have the intention to memorize everything that you're reading. Just store it all in there just until the bar exam is over and then let it go. The reality is that you can't, unless you have a photographic memory, which few people do, you're not going to just retain all that information, right? And so, you know, cramming it into your brain, trying to memorize everything isn't actually an effective technique. It's not a, an effective tool. Right? There are other things that are more effective. It's also helpful to, to look at how you, how you carry expectations of yourself, right? So for example, as the, this picture is of a um, concrete block floating in water. So if you expect concrete to float, you're going to be disappointed. If you expect yourself to be able to study, you know, hour upon hour with no breaks, giving up sleep, giving up healthy routines, and you want your brain to function at a heightened level so you can take in all that information and use it and understand it, that is not an expectation that is rooted in reality. All right, so you need certain things to help your brain work well, to help yourself focus, right? And if you don't understand or if you're not aware of what those things are, then sometimes you're you're pouring a lot of energy into some activity, but it's not gonna be connected to your expectations. So I use a lot of visuals in my slides. Um, so if you're not seeing these slides, uh, this is a slide of a surfer, you know, surfing a very big wave. Um, and one of the underlying or sort of through line themes of a lot of my presentations is really focusing on what you have control over. Uh, I'm not encouraging you to become a control freak. I'm actually encouraging you to think about what you have direct control over and distinguishing that from what you don't have control over. And when you have an idea of what you have control over, when you invest your time and energy into those items, that's really where you have the most payoff. So in this example, the surfer doesn't try to control the wave, right? The surfer doesn't try to, does not try to control the tide or the weather. They're just focused on how they can respond to the wave, right? So the amount of information that you're trying to cram into your brain right now is very much like a large wave, right? It's like, I can't do that, do all of this, right? It's just too much. But how, how can I respond to it? Right? I have control over how I respond to this overwhelming amount of information. One of those things, one of, an example of what you have control over is your ability to, to set and maintain boundaries. Now, just a, by way of definition, a boundary is a stopping point that is self-imposed. Right, this is when you, you draw a line, you say no, when you could say yes. That is very different than, than a limitation. 
a limitation is when there's an external stopping point, right? You don't decide on it. It gets decided for you. So for example, if you're up late studying and you're trying to cram information in, burning the midnight oil, and you just fall asleep on your laptop, right? That's your brain's way of saying, like, we're done. You might have intended to do more, to study more, but your brain's like, I've, I've reached my limit. I'm done. A boundary is when you have a stopping point, but you could do more, but you say no. And boundaries are extremely important, not just for sort of your own wellness, but also for effective study strategies. And what I mean by that is when our brains know when the discomfort that we're experiencing, when it when they know where when it's going to end, they perform better. So for example, if I tell myself, I'm just going to study today until this material is done, until these chapters are done, doesn't matter how long it takes, doesn't matter how many hours, I'm just going to go until I'm done. My brain doesn't know when the discomfort's going to end. My brain doesn't know how to marshal or um, allocate resources for that discomfort, right? For that energy. Therefore, my brain functions worse. My pain tolerance goes down. And therefore, it's harder, more difficult for me to, to focus. It's more difficult for me to withstand that discomfort. And you compare that to when my brain knows when it's going to end. So for example, I'm going to study for another hour. When that hour is up, I'm going to stop. It doesn't matter if I have more energy. It doesn't matter if I could do more. I'm actually going to stop. Now my brain knows when the discomfort's going to end. My brain functions better. My pain tolerance goes up, which means I can focus better and my brain can allocate energy and resources appropriately. So if you've ever thought like, you know what, the best thing to do is just, you know, work until the work is done. That's actually a, a misconception. The much more efficient strategy is to give yourself chunks of time with an end time that you decide on. And then once that end time comes, you respect it. You take a break, you stop working, and then your brain can respond much better to a structure like that. Um, and then also, there's a lot of preventative strategies that can help with managing your stress. Again, these are, I'm going to go through a lot of suggestions. If something sticks out as something that, that might be helpful that you're not exploring yet, you know, go with that. But don't try to do all these things all at once. One top on the list is sleep hygiene. So you've probably heard lots of people talk about the importance of sleep. It's true. Sleep is really important. So when you're in a situation like studying for the bar exam, oftentimes people experience this, this, um, exp this uh, dilemma of, I need to sort of decide where I'm going to put my resources. And my resources are limited. And when we have a shortage of something that's important to us, we can develop what's called a scarcity mindset which means this important thing is scarce. I don't have enough of it. And when I'm in that situation, my brain then spends a lot of time and energy trying to get more of that thing that is scarce. So for example, you know, if you're unhoused, right, then your brain's going to be focused a lot on getting housing, stable housing. If you're hungry, if you're food insecure, your brain's going to allocate a lot of time and energy towards that. When you're feeling like I don't have enough time, you know, I have too much to do and not enough time to do it in, then time seems scarce. Then my brain starts to, to look at how can I increase time? You can't. If you can, talk to me later. I'm interested to hear about that. But what our brains often do is I will trade something to get more time. And oftentimes what happens is we come up with this great idea of i don't need enough all the sleep i don't need eight hours of sleep i can get four hours of sleep and then that means i have four extra hours more time yay now i can study more that is a bad deal 
So you need healthy sleep, consistent sleep, in order for your brain to function the best it can. When you start to shave off sleep, hoping that you can then take that time to increase performance, cognitive performance, like studying and remembering things, it's the opposite. So if you're trading sleep or time to study, I highly recommend that you stop doing that and instead honor your sleep. Because when you get good sleep, your brain functions so much better than when your brain is sleep deprived. So getting good sleep means having a consistent bedtime, having a routine, getting up to bedtime so that you're giving your brain indications that sleep is coming. The more that you prioritize sleep and you set boundaries for yourself that says, I'm not going to stay up past this time, I'm going to value my sleep, then you're more likely to get good sleep or enough sleep. And when you do get enough sleep, your memory works better, your concentration is better, your ability to, to problem solve, all your cognitive skills improve. You also have more emotional stability, which helps with stress. So I could talk about this for an hour, but I won't. Just take my word for it. If you're not getting good sleep, which means, you know, seven to eight hours every single night uninterrupted, if you're not getting that, that's a good place to start. Investing time and energy to improve your sleep. Another one is exercise. And Usually when I'm talking to people preparing for the bar exam, uh, one of the things that you know, the pushback is like, I don't have time for all this stuff. I don't have time for exercise. I've got all the studying to do. And I understand. Um, I will make the pitch that when you're under stress and the stressor doesn't have an end point, like I'm studying for the exam every single day, the threat of the bar exam is still there even when I stop studying. So for my brain, my brain is responding as if that threat is constant, which means my parasympathetic nervous system is activated too much. And I don't have a way of sort of uh, relaxing or shifting to the parasympathetic nervous system. Exercise is a, a way to, to help your brain do that. Right. Obviously, exercise has lots of benefits, which I'll assume you know, and I won't get into. One of the added benefits is that when you exercise, when you do anything physical, your brain will get your body ready by activating the sympathetic nervous system, charges you up. And then when you're done with exercise, your brain knows to switch to the parasympathetic nervous system to calm you down. So this is a a helpful way of helping your brain make that transition. Because sometimes when you're studying and you're like, I just want to stop studying and want to do something else. If it's on your mind still, then your brain sometimes has that has difficulty switching to the parasympathetic nervous system. And then that will eventually sort of have physical consequences. Another thing you have control over is what you use for fuel. Right? So be intentional about what you eat and what you drink, right? So I'm not um, suggesting that this is what my plate looks like. It's not. Um, but it's a reminder to all of us, including myself, that like when we're more mindful about what we eat, when we plan what we're going to eat ahead of time, we're more likely to make better decisions. When we don't plan, we're more likely to eat in response to suddenly feeling like we're starving. And when that happens, we're more likely to rely on coffee and caffeine, like I'm doing today and every day. Uh, and also just to grab stuff that's ready. And that's usually stuff that's less healthy. So when we use caffeine, carbs, sugar, to sort of fuel our bodies, we have these you know peaks and valleys of energy, which then directly affect our you know physical stamina, our mental stamina, and our cognitive functioning. So the more you're eating healthier foods, you know, non-processed foods, you're more likely to fuel your brain in your body in a more stable and healthy way, actually helps your brain function better. Um, another thing that you can, that you have control over 
and that you're doing anyway is breathing, right? When you're not thinking about breathing, don't worry, your brain's already automatically doing it for you. But when you consciously think about breathing, you can control how you breathe. One of the really helpful techniques that you can start to practice if you haven't tried it in the past is deep breathing. This is when you just take an intentional, slow, deep breath using your diaphragm so that when you inhale, your abdomen extends as opposed to your chest. So like a traditional way is like doing a, a mental four count as you breathe in through your nose, holding it for a couple seconds and exhaling through your mouth at the same rate, holding that and then repeating. One of the benefits of doing this, one that reminds you that you're breathing, which is good. Um, when you start to consciously slow down your breath and take a deeper breath, it will actually start to relax your physical body and your brain starts to interpret that. Um, when, we, when we're stressed out, we typically breathe quickly and take a shallow breath. And our brains are basically hyping us up you know, to get ready to fight, fight, or freeze. And so, fight, flight, or freeze. And so, um, when we when we consciously slow down our breath, our brain starts to interpret that as, this is not how I breathe when I'm stressed out. This is how I breathe when I'm calm, when I'm confident. So you can consciously slow the rate of your breath, right? You don't have to make a show of it. You don't have to let people know you're doing it. You can do it at any time to just recognize that, oh, I'm feeling a little tense. I'm feeling tight. My muscles are tight or I'm just feeling stress. And this is a simple technique to just slow your breath down. Oftentimes when you practice this, you start to feel just relaxed physically. Eventually you can start to feel relaxed emotionally and mentally as well. Because your brain again starts to interpret this as, oh, this is how I breathe when I'm calm. Right, so you start to feel calm. Another helpful technique is increasing your awareness. And uh, mindfulness is something that's talked about quite a bit these days. In a nutshell, mindfulness is all about directing your attention to your present moment. So as an example, I've been talking for, I don't know, half hour almost, and none of you have been paying attention to what I'm saying constantly. Our attention wanders right? It wanders to what do, what do I have to do next? It wanders to like, I've got my to-do list. Like, what did I do last night? What am I doing tomorrow? What else do I have to do right now? So our attention wanders. This is normal. Mindfulness is the practice of taking my attention and paying, uh, paying attention to my present moment. So when you think about anxiety, that lives in the future, right? Anxiety requires my imagination. I have to think about what if? What if this doesn't go well? What if this happens? What if that doesn't happen? Right? That is directing my attention at the future. Anxiety lives there. Uh, regret lives in the past. Right? Thinking about, you know, I wish that didn't go that way. I wish I could go back and change things. Right? That's when my attention's in the past. When your attention is in the present moment, you do not feel anxious you do not feel regret, right? You might not like what you're experiencing in the present moment, but that's not anxiety, right? You, because anxiety requires your imagination in the future. Directing your attention to the present moment helps you identify how you're doing, what you need, and then that gives you options for what to do about it in the moment. So for example, if I'm trying to focus, right? I'm trying to study, and I'm like, I'm just having trouble. If I, if I just take a moment and it's like, how am I doing right now? Right? How's my body doing? Am I in pain? Is that distracting me? Am I hungry? Is that distracting me? Do I need to use the bathroom? Do I need to get up and walk? Like, what is it that I'm feeling right now? And what can I do about that? That helps me to identify needs, to identify what I have control over to address those needs. And then by extension, that can help me reduce distractions. That can help me take care of myself, which will then improve my ability 
to focus, to study, to remember. Also, uh, your social connections are extremely important. Obviously, when you have a lot to do, you've got this busy study schedule, and some of you are working, so you've got work and studying for the bar. It's really hard to carve out time for things other than you know work and bar prep. It's really helpful, though, not to feel like you're doing it all by yourself. So for some, it's, it's an added uh, burden or an added bar to sort of make the effort to connect with other people. So if you haven't already, if you're not talking to people who are also studying for the bar right now, that's really helpful. Or talking to people who have recently studied for the bar, right? Talking to people who know exactly what you're going through is really helpful because you don't have to explain a lot or re-explain. Um, so that's one benefit of talking to people who are who know what you're going through. The opposite is also true. Talking to people who do not know what you're going through because sometimes they can offer a perspective that is different that you might not have thought about. And then the last thing there is non-bar prep or work activities. Sometimes we call these hobbies or you know interests. If you've put all of that on hold, like if you put your friends on hold, your family on hold, your hobbies on hold, just until you get through the bar prep zone or take the bar exam, um, it's really, it's important not to put everything on hold that is helpful to you. So think about of those things that perhaps you're tempted to put on hold. Like if you could choose one or two that are really helpful for your well-being, for your, your enjoyment in life, things like that. Think about how to integrate them, not whether you can or can't, but how could I, what are my options for integrating those things, those helpful things into my busy schedule right now? All right. And so I, I labeled those preventative, but quite frankly, those are also sort of, you can use those techniques in the moment as well uh, when you're experiencing stress. Um, in vivo is just live, like in the moment. I mentioned the sympathetic nervous system already, the fight, flight, or freeze syndrome. It's just helpful to understand how your bodies and your minds react to stress, to a threat, right? So the idea is that, you know, our brains are going to get us ready to fight it, to run away from it, or to freeze until it passes. And so when I recognize my body's reaction to it, when it happens, it helps my brain explain it as opposed to like when something happens in my body and I don't know why it's happening, my brain can sometimes sort of go down the rabbit hole of like, what could this mean, right? Like, oh, I'm feeling tightness in my chest. What does that mean, right? But if I know I'm under pressure right now and that is a, a symptom of stress for me, oh yeah, this tightness, yep, that makes sense that I'd feel this way being under this pressure, or maybe I got bad news, or maybe I'm still thinking about that practice exam that didn't go well. Like, all right, that makes sense, all right? This is my stress response, the sympathetic nervous system responding to the situation. And then when I know that the parasympathetic nervous system is the, the flip side of that reaction, that helps with relaxation, it helps with digestion, my immune system and sleep, then I'm gonna be more aware of when I'm feeling sort of charged up, you know, how, how can I have an impact on making that switch? How can I slow my breathing down? How can I perhaps take a moment to do some exercise and then help my brain make that switch? Maybe when I'm trying to go to bed, like I've been busy, 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 and I lay my head down, and that's when all my anxious thoughts flood in, and like I can't fall asleep. So understanding those processes and having some control over influencing them is really important, right? So relaxation techniques are important, right? Using, you know, strategies and exercise like that to help make those transitions, having good routines for sleep as a way of sort of having influence over those internal reactions and systems. So two things to think about in terms of promoting your resilience is how does your environment affect you? And what control do you have over your environment? 
And the other thing is, how can you affect your internal state, right? How can you affect your reaction to the environment? And what do you have control over there? So again, internally, you can have control over your breathing. You can have control over what you're putting in your body to feel yourself. You have control over how you value your sleep, how you try to prioritize that, right? To, to start off your day from a good foundation. How about your environment, right? The more that you think about the bar exam as this un, you know, unachievable goal, that's going to affect how you're responding to it. Right? If you see your uh, your immediate environment is like, is this the best place for me to be studying? Right? Do I study best in a different environment? Right? How, what control do I have over that? So resilience is all about responding to your situation and coming out the other side stronger and in a better place. So resilience is a key to resilience. Again, it's feeling like I'm in the driver's seat when it comes to things that I have direct control over. All right. And that obviously requires awareness, but I have to know what is what I'm experiencing. What do I need? What do I have access to? And then practicing things, right? Practicing having control over my internal reactions, practicing grit and growth mindset, right? Doing that over and over again. And that is, that's what leads to resilience in the end. Um, so when we're in terms of practicing something to keep in mind, um, we are, um, instruments that respond to relationships, right? So associations are relationships that we have with external things like events or uh, things that we can perceive through our senses. So if we have an association that is not helpful, once you recognize that that exists and what you have options uh, within your control, you can try to change that association, right? So for example, every time I open my bar prep material, I have an association of stress, right? It's like, oh, I don't feel comfortable. I feel threatened in some way and I feel it in my body, right? That is an association that I have. I can try to change that association Right. And the way I do that is I take something else that I have a positive association with. Right. And I was like, oh, I really like, you know, flavored coffee. I just, I feel nice when I'm drinking my flavored coffee. So, what I'm going to do is I'm going to start pairing that flavored coffee with or right next to my bar prep materials. And the hope is that that other relationship, that positive relationship, is going to help me affect that negative relationship. I'm going to try to change that association. That's just a very simple example. Um, practice is required. However, you can also repurpose existing associations. So for example, if every time that I start to study a particular subject matter, a particular area of law, I recognize that I'm starting to feel tense, right? Like my muscles are tense. I'm breathing shallow and fast. I was like, I don't like this. I can actually repurpose that association. What I can do is I can stop studying. I could say like, oh, I'm having this reaction. Where else is this reaction helpful to me? Like, all right, this is helpful when I'm exercising, right? To feel tense, to feel my muscles, to feel you know, that rapid um, breathing. When I'm exercising, that's helpful. When I'm studying, not helpful. So what I could do is I'm recognizing when I'm having this association, I'm going to put my materials down. I'm going to go, I'm going to exercise for 15 minutes. I'm going to repurpose this association for my benefit. I exercise, then I come back. And now instead of feeling like this material is making me feel this way, now I feel like, oh, I'm having this response. I'm going to use this response to my benefit, have something good happen from it, and then come back to this, uh, this material. And then another way, of addressing is to create new associations, right? So let's say you don't have any, you know, association with your study materials or any area of law, but I can create new ones, right? I can just say like, you know what? I want to be more comfortable, you know, studying this material, or I just want to be comfortable studying. So perhaps what I do is I, I work, I'm 
I'm cognizant of what makes me feel comfortable. And I try to integrate some of that stuff into my study experience, or maybe just when I'm studying um, that particular area of law that I need to spend more time on. It is really helpful in terms of um, thinking about uh, your awareness, right? Your awareness of yourself. One area to think about is what helps you, right? What helps you when you want to relax? I'm done studying. And I want to sort of shift gears. What helps me relax? Is it an activity? Is it something that I can experience through my senses? Is it a routine, right? For some people, particularly in this age of like remote work, remote study, where we sort of work or study in the same space that we live, it can be hard to have those clear transitions that one thing is over and another thing is starting, right? So if I'm studying for the bar exam in my living room, but then when I'm done studying, I want to relax in my living room. Sometimes it's hard to do that. So having something that helps you with that transition uh, those those are great to great techniques to be aware of. So I've often told people like even if you like just use one laptop for studying and you use something else to surf the web and do social media later, something like that can be helpful. Something as simple as changing your clothes. This is my study pajamas, and when I'm done studying, I'm going to change into my relaxing pajamas. Like whatever it is, some sort of indication for yourself that you've transitioned. So when you want to relax, what helps? Also, when you want to ramp up, what helps? So if it feels like, you know, I'm not, I'm not feeling motivated right now to like tackle this, this material, to study, to focus, but I want to feel ramped up. I want to feel like my body is in gear, my mind's in gear to focus on this. So what helps to charge you up? Right? So being aware of those two different things can make a world of difference. All right. Um, another area that can be helpful in managing your stress are just your habits and your practices while you're studying. So one thing about your physical environment, right? Are you in a physical environment that is optimal for your focus and your study? All right. If you're in an environment that is chaotic, I'm not saying that you study in this office, but if your home life or your office looks like this and you're trying to focus, do yourself a favor, leave and go somewhere else. But think about what helps you best. Is it dead silence? Is it you know ambient noise in the background? We're all different in terms of what is best for us in terms of focusing our attention. So be aware of that. Try to have options, multiple options available to you so that you can be in the environment that you work best in. And again, I keep mentioning awareness of yourself, but it's really helpful to know what motivates you, what distracts you. If, if studying at home is comfortable, but there's tons of distractions here, and I just, I'm not getting in the study time that I want because I'm constantly being pulled away by the phone, by you know, chores, by, you know, anything that, that happens around me. Well, then maybe it's more beneficial to you to have some discomfort in leaving and going to some place with less distractions. Right? Um, it's also helpful to know how you respond to discomfort. When you're trying to study and you're trying to maintain your focus on something that's uncomfortable, how do you typically respond to discomfort? If your typical response is avoidance, then that's good to know. You wanna perhaps have a plan for how you can then change how you respond to discomfort. Maybe that's taking breaks, breaking down the time that you're studying into smaller chunks so that you can then have less time when you're uncomfortable and then being able to reset. And also, how do you study and learn best? For some of us, reading the material, we, we, we learn best that way. For others, it's explaining that material to somebody else. Right, thinking about I'm going to read this and then I'm going to have to explain it to somebody else. For others, you know, it's like listening to it while I'm reading it. All to say, there's lots of ways of learning. If you know how you learn best, you're going to be one up. 
Um, multitasking. Don't do it. It's not a thing, right? Whenever you're trying to focus your attention on more than one thing at once, we call that a distraction, right? You're not good at it. So if you eliminate multiple demands in your attention, you're able to focus better. When we talk about multitasking, what we're really talking about is task switching, okay? So every time you have something uh, where you're, you're asked to switch your attention from one thing to another, that's just less efficient and it takes more time to get back to where you were. So any time that you can reduce a distraction, you reduce another competing task, you're gonna perform better. Um, so I already mentioned reducing distractions, also taming tasks. Most of you are probably using some sort of bar prep program. And these are very sort of structured programs because they know the importance of taming a task, breaking it down bit by bit, right? In bite-sized chunks so that, you know, I don't have to study everything in one day. It's like, all right, here's my schedule. This helps me with, you know, my brain's ability to handle discomfort. If you don't have a bar prep program that you're using, you can do this for yourself in the same way, setting up a schedule, breaking things down into achievable chunks, right? So that's not overwhelming. We function a lot better when things are broken down. Also, uh, going back to the idea of like how you respond to discomfort, many of us respond to discomfort by avoiding it, pushing it off. So procrastination can result. So for example, if there's an area of law that you're really uncomfortable with, causes a lot of discomfort because you don't like it, it's hard, you might push that off. Be like, ah, I'll get to it later. Um, whenever you're dealing with procrastination, one technique that is helpful is referred to as eat the frog. And this is when you, uh, you take the worst thing on your to-do list for the day and you do it first thing in the morning. Right, so when you tackle the worst thing at the beginning, when you have the most energy, when you have the most focus, then you're more likely to be able to accomplish the rest of your things because you have momentum. Procrastination is pushing things off until later. And when, you're, when you get to later, you have less energy, you have less focus, and you're much more likely to push that off again. All right, so if there are things that you're struggling with that you're to keep pushing off. Eat the frog is a helpful way to tackle them. It's like, make a plan. Tomorrow, I'm starting with this thing that I don't want to do. And I've also mentioned uh, the idea of uh, taking breaks. So it's not just a nice thing to do for yourself. Literally, it helps your brain function better. When you are studying and you're stuck, right? Even if you don't have a break scheduled for that time, if you're just stuck, so again, I keep reading this over and over again, and I'm not getting it. One technique is to keep reading it over and over again and hoping that eventually it'll stick. Don't do that. What I would recommend is stop reading it. Move around instead, right? Get up, stop doing that task, move your body in some way. Walk around, get a drink, do whatever, come back. Oftentimes, that is an indication when you're stuck like that. It's an indication that your brain needs to, to work in a different way. And one way to activate your brain in, in a different way is to get up and move, right? to not try to do the same thing over and over again. So uh, taking a break and moving around is a great way to sort of activate your brain in different ways. And again, taking scheduled breaks is a great way of helping your brain allocate resources, mental resources, to focus better during uncomfortable activities. So you will, your brain will function better. You'll be able to remember things better. You'll be able to focus better when your brain knows that the discomfort is going to end at a certain time and you actually adhere to that schedule. So it's also nice to give yourself breaks. It's good to reward yourself, do something pleasurable, do something you know pleasant, and then come back and have that give and take. 
but particularly for um, for those who think for those um, who are operating under that assumption that in order to do my best, I have to study, 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 not stop studying. Research shows us it's the opposite. That in order to do your best, you have to study for an amount of time. You have to have an environment that you work well in. You have to have a study method that you work best in. You have to have uh, adequate sleep um, so to start off your day well. You have to have boundaries and breaks so that your brain can allocate resources appropriately and then have a recovery time and then allocate resources appropriately again. So oftentimes it's counterintuitive to say you're actually going to remember more and study better by studying less. Right? The grand total number of hours of studying isn't going to produce a better score on the bar exam. What will produce a better score is that you take care of yourself, that you study less in order to get adequate sleep, that you study a little bit less in order to take breaks, in order to take care of yourself in that process. So the idea that I am going to give up the good stuff that helps me just so that I can get through bar prep and the bar exam actually makes success harder. When you are able to recognize what is really helpful to me, and I maintain that, and I value that, I actually do better on the bar exam. I do better as I'm studying. So I understand that this is easy for me to say because I'm not in the midst of it like you all are. Um, but I highly encourage you to, to think about even just one way that you can approach this stressful experience differently and perhaps test it out, right? Talk to others so that you're not going through this alone. Um, again, talking to people who understand what it's like to go through bar prep. You can get a sense of what other people do, not that you should replicate what others have done. Um, because sometimes people recommend what worked for them. That doesn't mean it's going to work for you. But it is helpful to, to hear about options, right? This person did X, this person did Y, that person did Z, right? All those things were helpful to them. Maybe what's helpful to me is one of those things, right? But the more that I feel like I'm not alone, I'm not figuring this stuff out all by myself, that will reduce stress as well. So on that note, I'm going to end it. I will stop sharing my screen. Here's my info. Uh, feel free to check out our website. Reach out if I can be helpful or one of my colleagues can be helpful to you in any way. Again, we're a free and confidential resource to you. Um, if there are any questions, I don't see any in the, the Q&A, but I'll leave. We have a couple more minutes. If anyone has any questions, feel free.